So, Michael, I want to start a conversation with you with this enormous, crazy question, which underlies my life, I think. And that's why I wanted to talk to other people who have been exploring life in a deep way. And that question is hard to put into words, but it's something like, what is this we're experiencing? (laughs) (laughs) Do you think? And is there something we should be doing with it? Do you think? And, you know, here am I, you know, just 60, here's you in your 30s, and yet we're both in this very mysterious experience. And, uh, you know, I, I'm wondering how it looks to you at this place on your journey and what you've made of it. Yeah. Well, right now I'm in the midst of reading Eric Davis's fantastic new book, High Weirdness. <laughs> I don't know, but it's a great name. Oh, it's, it's, a, it's a masterpiece of, of what he's trying to define as weird naturalism. He's, he's playing with uh, a, a, like an academic overview or investigation into the life and writings of the McKenna brothers, of Philip K. Dick, and of Robert Anson Wilson, and saying that there was something going on in the 70s in the exploration of ontology that's really important and is lensed through these three characters and their stories in a very uh, important way. And he draws on Bruno Latour and he draws on Deleuze and Guattari. And, you know, he, he builds this, this, uh, this case for a, a, a naturalism that accepts these folded over subject and object and you know the the way that the plurality of reality that every every engagement that we have with the human or the non-human uh, proliferates realities and it's an interesting way to think about this as you know like i'm i'm very fond and i, th- I think we've talked about this on my show I th- i'm very fond of the idea of evolution as a process that is as richard doyle said in his work and 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 doyle is quoted in in eric davis's stuff um that uh evolution is like a a search algorithm for maximal entropy uh but it does it through the like these feeling sensate minded agents you know that are that are orienting themselves through the way that they interpret their environments. And so there's like this manifold of subjectivity. And Eric talks a little bit about this in, in High Weirdness in the part I'm reading now where he's, he's talking about rather than, um, what does he call it? It's some sort of like introjection of subjectivity through the folding over of the other. And so okay. it's just, so to answer your question, I think- Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Go, so, go for it. I think that what I'm what I'm gesturing toward here, and what yeah. all of, what I see all of these authors gesturing toward, is that what we're experiencing here is uh, a play of per- perspectives that is p- like proliferating like a like a river valley or something that it's it's fractaling uh, out in its folding over itself. 
I yeah, got it. <laughs> I was a bit lost, but then I, when you wrapped right. it up at the end, I got it. Okay. So I think so. It, I, used, I, I love that idea of of perspectives, that, and, and evolution. The evolutionary process I, for me would be exactly that—that that kind of fractaling, or the, the multiplication, or the deepening as well, or the the realization of, of perspectives in in more emergent ways. That coming out and that and that everything i'm very i'm very interested in the idea that things are not just objects that 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 anything that has an integrity is also a perspective even down to a very primitive level so you could see the whole thing as well everything has it, it, it is an evolution of perspectives is that what you're saying yeah i mean i'm definitely uh, you know, we talked about this a little bit off channel that I worked with Ken Wilber for a little while and I'm definitely influenced by his stuff as well. And, and his influence from Alfred North Whitehead that, you know, this, what if even a photon has like a quantum unit of interiority? And, you know, when I, when I studied Ken's stuff in grad school under Sean Hargens, who is, a very rigorous and, and interesting mind when he, when it comes to pluralism and, you know, he's taken Ken's work, I think, into some extraordinary uh, new developments, uh, you know, looking at the way that the world is this, this sort of Indra's net type situation and everything reflecting everything else. And uh, he, Sean turned me on to Francisco Varela. And so like uh, Francisco Varela and Umberto Maturana back in the, 80s and 90s were working on autopoiesis and this this uh, sort of you know the cybernetics of how the mind emerges through an you know an interface of of the organism and its environment. So, so yeah. I have a, I have a bit of I, I have a little bit of trouble with the word interiority. All right, um, just because it sounds like it's got something inside. It's in you know there's an inside. And, and, and I don't know about you, but I'm not experiencing an inside. I'm just experiencing, on the one hand, the world, and on another hand, the imagination. And so I, I wonder, uh, let me throw this at you and see how it resonates with what you're saying. That the place I've ended up is thinking in terms of just subjectivity, that everything has a, everything which, if, if the one thing is developing into relatively separate, flows of time processes as as whitehead would say then everything which could be regarded as individual has an indiv what makes it individual is it has an individual relationship with the whole so it has a subjectivity so whether it's a you know an atom or a plant or a, you and me that the, there's a subjective subjective relationship with the whole and it's that which is the perspective so it's so it's we don't have to make up in something you know it's not like it has an interiority or it's conscious or it's just reading the it's just in some way reading the whole whether it's electrochemically or then sensually or then conceptually yeah and in fact um i'm, yeah, I'm totally comfortable using whatever different language <laughs> yeah I, I know yeah. in one way it doesn't seem like it matters but in another way i think it really does yeah. well let's 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 play let's play with that a little because uh one of the scientist whose work I encountered last year that changed the way that I think about this stuff pretty profoundly um, 
was uh, Adi Livnat of Haifa University in Israel, who came through the Santa Fe Institute where I work uh, doing science communication. And he gave a talk on interaction-based evolution and specifically a, a uh, Hebbian learning model, meaning like the neurons that fire together, wire together, uh, that notion of how, how it is that our brain learns. Uh, and he applied it to genetic regulatory networks and said that he thinks that, um, that we can see, even in what we're thinking of as random mutations, a kind of a, I don't I mean, I'm going to say this like a poet, not a scientist, but a kind of striving toward the best fit that there is a kind of, uh, you know, as things are seeking rest, that includes, you know, you think of evolution as this multi-scale thing that includes all of the little individual units of it. And when you, when you look at the, the way that the shape of an organic molecule and the shape of its environment of organic molecules, even like within our individual cells, uh, is sifting around through like supposedly random movement into these configurations that are like information compression algorithms, then it looks like the, what we want to attribute to uh, like a minded sense of purpose at the human scale, you know, the way that people talk about like, you want to anthropomorphize everything. Um, but it's there in nature and it's, it seems to be the basis for, you know, that, there, that there's some sense in which uh, this directionality and evolution that a lot of people into it and a lot of uh, people have until I think fairly recently in the sciences really rejected, but it's starting to come back, yeah. you know, yeah. that, that this directionality is about, the the way that the that anatomy is a model of the environment in an evolutionary system say like, that again the, say that, that say that again that, that, yeah that the anatomy that every organism is like a hypothesis of the ecosystem about like how to survive right and so there are all of these ways that i think in a way like people might accuse me of projecting human attributes into the world but i think what it actually is is sort of the opposite that yes yes that exactly. we have extracted that, that we talk about these things in a human way uh that we don't have excellent language for um you know this this uh proto yeah subjectivity yeah. proto or, everything. Or, or like a grand subjectivity that would be like the thoughts that our entire civilization is having as an, as an entity. Okay. You know? hold, hold that. I got to get I've got to yeah. wind back a sec. Cause I'm going to lose you. So I'm, I really get, I think what you're saying is, and I, and I, I really get this and I work, work with this a lot of trying to trying to find a, a language to express it in the idea that what gets dismissed as an anthropomorphic understanding actually is really a recognition that everything that is human has arisen in the evolutionary process and has a precursor which goes back and back and back and back so the thing which we experience as intention uh isn't there previously but the thing it's evolved from is and that there's a kind of a primal current which will become you and i intending to have this conversation for instance yeah and i get yeah. so that makes real sense to me that i think that's what you're saying is that right 
Well, yeah, I, I mean, you know, to uh, to clarify, I think that in at the like in the sort of primal sense that these things are distributed, that intelligence, uh, that what we think of as intent, what I'm calling intentionality, probably problematically, is distributed in the landscape, and then over time it gets focused into the the working models that beings navigating that landscape carry around within us and adapt and that those those working models are like and are again i'm using a word that you know you've already sort of pointed to as an issue but there's there's a kind of internalization of the landscape into the models of the landscape that we carry as a like as a necessity as a way for an ecosystem to understand itself um okay again 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 yeah so so and yeah have another go (laughs) i'll get there and and so and so at any rate like i do think that there is you know i tend to think of these things as like there always was a noosphere there always was a layer of mind around the planet but uh-huh. it was diffuse. It wasn't integrated. It wasn't focused into, uh, like, lo- it wasn't localized in the kind of way that it is now. And it, because it wasn't localized, it wasn't able to, uh, it wasn't as diverse internally. It wasn't as heterogeneous as it is now. But so that, what, what, like, does that, what does that look like for you? There's two things which come up for me there. One is, um, I have no idea why um, uh, Pierre Thierry de Chardin talked about the newosphere as surrounding the planet. I've never got that because it always feels like my experience of the newosphere, which I'm experiencing right now, obviously having this conversation with you, is it doesn't exist anywhere. It, it's clearly non-spatial. So the idea that it's around the planet seems very <laughs> kind of strange to me. So I don't get that, and uh, and why he why he said that, and and I don't. I want to, so that's one thing I want to ask you about. And then the other thing is the idea that you've just said then of it, of it there being a, a, a mind, new sphere, imagination, whatever you, this thing we're experiencing, you know, some proto, more, less individuated version of it is what I'm hearing. What is that? And why do we, why do we need to have that? previous what 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 isn't it more elegant just to see it evolving as a very emergent level i mean i'm quite open to it being already there i just can't see what it is when it's already there i okay so first of all these are great i like i love these and i'm i'm honored that i'm ever in a conversation where i'm sort of given the deputized to answer these questions as if i know <laughs> uh, but it seems it seems as though one that maybe terre de Chardin, living when he did uh was literalizing the metaphor that he inherited from the victorian era of the mind as some sort of radio and that that this notion that like the russians went really deep into this in their cold war research about you know is consciousness a magnetic phenomenon embedded in the the on the magnetic envelope of the planet you know and uh, it's interesting stuff. So I think there's something to that. Um, but again, it is an instance where maybe the technological metaphor has been, you know, stretched to the breaking point. Um, and then obviously, 
what I'm talking about uh, as what I'm thinking of as the noosphere being, you know, this sort of the, the, the mental dimension of the biosphere, you know, so to, again, to use this problematic ah, okay. like interiority okay. of the biosphere. Um, but, ah. but I think to, to your, to your second question, why I find it helpful or useful or per, perhaps more accurate to uh, to regard mind as or you know that to regard all of these things as having some sort of proto state rather than being truly emergent is that okay we know that things are truly emergent um do we I mean, the thing is that we, we, we notice... We yeah, look we do. Like we do. Surely, surely we do know that. Hold on now. Like, we see that our Go systems on. are like bounded wherever we look. We're, you know, we, for the purposes of scientific clarity, that we have to draw a line around a thing, which automatically forecloses the possibility that our evolutionary emergence are distributed across the, a much larger system at a different scale than the scale that we're observing things. And like science only recently has started moving into these multi-scale considerations where you're not just looking at things that, you know, one, you know, like that it's not that chemistry. I, I think we're, I think we're still foot wet standing in the puddle of the previous men, you know, paradigm in which biology emerges out of chemistry and chemistry emerges out of physics why why, that, why do you think that i mean given that you know the, the current understanding would be you know 13.8 billion years ago there was hydrogen and now there's you and me having this conversation that seems pretty emergent doesn't it oh well, yeah but um the we i i just every day i am embedded in a conversation where people are banging their heads against the wall about the point at which life emerged. Ah, yeah, and that's a different thing, though, isn't it? The origin. That's a different something. thing. I, I, had, um, I had Bruce Demo came to my yeah. birthday party in Glastonbury, which was lovely. So I got oh. to, um, and, and so we've talked a great deal about, about, about like, that question. And, I, you know, and, of course, that's a big question. In fact, I suspect it's not just when did life emerge, it's when did anything new emerge is actually a really difficult question because you've got, but that it's emerged and that you can see a before and after is pretty, you know, like I can look out in the garden, I can see the difference between things that are alive and things which aren't. Although when it, you know, if I look up close, exactly where that boundary is may be really hard to say, but you know, but I can. So maybe there are two useful ways to talk about this, right? Like maybe it's useful to talk about something as emerging in the same way that someone emerges onto stage. And we know that there's a backstage. You okay. Know, like, so, so, all right. So that's so that's a non-creative emergence. Mm -hmm. Like that's again, that's a situation where like a pattern that you and this is the way that emergence is is used. For, what I'm about to say is the way that emergence is used formally, which is like, you know, the way that an interference pattern emerges when you lay two two like gauzy cloths over one another, and you know the moiré, and the moiré like isn't. You know, it's not like something new was created except to our awareness of it. Okay. Um, so, so I think that, you know, I think that, that uh, for me, it's very problematic to talk about um, the, 
the, the beginnings of life as anything, and I get into this with Bruce, I've been getting into this with Bruce for five years, and it's in a really meaningful, constructive way that I, I hope we, I think we both appreciate, uh, which is that I think his model demonstrates a kind of just uh, a focusing of, process, of inferential and learning processes in the landscape into uh, these, you know, these, the warm little pond, and that in a sense that really it's, it is, it would be fair to say that, that biology is like an epiphenomenon of geology in that sense. If you don't see it as reductionist, yeah. If you don't reduce it right. to it, if it's, a, and that's why I guess why the idea of just the word emergent seems like a good word because something, there's, there's I want to just pause this one second because I want to go back to something you said earlier and just point out a difference in the way I've come to think of things and just see if it makes a difference in what you're exploring. Because you said, I see, I see the newosphere as the um, interiority or whatever word we use, doesn't matter, of the um, biosphere. And I wanted to, I wanted to, to come back to that because I really don't. And that's, right. and that's been a big jump for me. And I'd like to just, just to see whether I can make sense of it to you and, and what you think. Because let's, if I come down to my experience right now, I'm, ex, you know, there's this, I'm experiencing a flow of sensation and a flow of imagination. I'm the biosphere and the newosphere, if you like. There is a tendency to see all of that experience as somehow the subjective aspect of the of the body whereas it seems to me that there is a an that this experience of sensation that i'm having is the subjective experience of the body but the experience of imagination this non-spatial dimension that i'm having is another level of reality altogether which I suspect has evolved from this, but which is now a completely different level of information in the same way that biology is actually a different level of information to physics now. And it's manip- you know, just working on a different level. And physics passes, you know, atoms pass through my biological level. And this, the, 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 in the same way, this, this experience of, of, um, of psyche or soul is a completely new level of emergence. And it has its own objectivity and subjectivity. So that rather than it, that being like they're just being the body and then this subjective side of it, actually there's both have an objectivity and a subjectivity to them. And so the newosphere is a realm in its own right, a dimension of emergence in its own right, which has arisen from the biosphere excrement, incrementally and which now exists in its own right, excrementally, yeah. <laughs> incrementally. And well, is maybe the, it is. I mean, maybe well, it is. Okay, I mean, that's, hey, that's a metabolic output yeah. of yeah. this. Uh, so, I, you know, I'm really, it's interesting. I, you know, I, I, I find I don't really settle one way on this or the other. And so I, this conversation is going to be interesting because I feel like, in a way, what you just said sounds like uh, I'm, I'm inclined to offer the same kind of question about that that you offer to interiority, which is uh, why, why, what is it in your experience that feels as though those two things are of ontologically different orders? 
um, or well, that they are the, the, the starting place is that they're without doubt experientially completely different so that's my starting place is that there is a complete difference between my experience of this mug and the idea of the mug are utterly different things one of which is spatial and, 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 and I have access to it through sensation. The other is an image. It doesn't exist in space and inhabits its own dimension. And that's a, a dimension I can explore in dreams. I can do it on psychedelics. I can do it in meditation. Um, and my hunch is I can do it at death. Um, so I'm interested really in th taking that experiential basis and going, okay, so maybe the perennial spiritual idea that there is a soul dimension, the bardos, the imaginal realms, and that we're in it all the time, that we're always in these two levels. Of, maybe that can be taken seriously. And we mm. don't have to, and, and that, but the, 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 I guess the thing which I'm trying to add to the spiritual philosophy and move it on is, to, is an evolutionary element, which goes, but maybe that has evolved in this process, which science has beautifully articulated from physics to biology to to, to psyche it, that is an emergence of ever greater uh, depth of information um, and new levels of reality are arising in that way that and the reason i want to come back to is because in that way it feels really creative to me that mm. it's that it's a that it's the arising of something new all the time in that way that that, that again whitehead talked about that there's something I creative maybe i just like being a bummer or a contrarian I don't think so because I, I feel like I, I, I rapture at the same sort of spiritual horizon that you do. Um, but I, I, I tend to think, you know, when I think of evolution as the, the deepening of uh, networks of sensing, feeling, communicating intellects that are deepening in an and an sort of a ratcheting effort to understand the environment that they themselves are making more complex. Yep. That they're, what they are doing is modeling an, an environment that is inexhaustible, even though it's somehow made more complex by our doing, it's also more, it's inexhaustible uh, to our models. And like, it's, it's greater than we will ever understand by definition. And sure. so the, you know, it seems as though all of the information and all of the creation coming out of this is coming in. And I'm, I'm, I guess the, the, the sort of tactile example would be one of those little desktop wave machines full of sand where yeah. you tilt it one way and the water rushes down and all the sand back, like refluxes back up. Yeah. That, that there's, you know, to talk about evolution, I think has to be paired with the notion of involution. Uh. Like Richard... Richard Doyle uh, talks about involution as a deepening of subjectivity. Um, but okay, that's a, that's so like the, like he's a like Advaita Vedanta type uh, thinker in in terms of that all of the the manifest form and the creative possibility uh, expressed in our world is like uh, projected, you know, or or it's, yeah. it's drawn down from the imagination. So, so this is this is this is really a going to Plotinus and all of that, isn't it? And and going back yeah. to a very obvious. And I had this out with Ken Wilbur actually just recently. Um, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I, yeah I, 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 you're not on it, right? No, I just think why? Why do we need that? I tell you what it is. 
Michael, I was just thinking about this today. What's underneath for me, I think, is a real, I'm looking, I really like simple. I really like it when you can get it down and go, whoa, that, and then explore that. And, and one of the, it, it, for, for, in my work on spirituality and mythology for years, I've been exploring this very common idea, oh, that God, if you, Brahman, whatever, the, the spirit is, is, is realizing itself, is expressing itself, is knowing itself. This is a you know, really ancient motif. And I think what happened some time ago was I thought, well, what happens if you take that seriously? I mean, really seriously. And you go, the, what existence is, is a process of potentiality realizing itself in more, in more emergent ways. And if that, and taking that hypothesis, because it just feels like, wow, that's a really elegant idea of what this is, because it looks to me like every new moment is realizing a new potentiality based on what's been before. And that seems to be always true of every, every moment I've experienced in my 60 years. And here it is again. So let's take it seriously, in which case it is the whole scope of the evolution of this universe and maybe universes before that the coming into existence of more emergent things based on what's been before. And with the birth of the universe, just like the birth of my body, it start, you know, it didn't start with me being conscious. It didn't start, it started with an egg and a, sp a sperm. It started with, you know, something very, very basic. And from that became more emergent. There wasn't any involution involved. It wasn't, it was just like start simple, become more rich, become richer. Um, now that's a, that, that's a sequent, you know, that are you, that obviously I had parents and maybe our universe has parents. Maybe the past is always informing the next thing that happens, but there's something very, it, it feels like we're this whole involution thing. It seems like the leftover of the fall, which is the, the spiritual motif, not evolution. The idea that we've fallen from somewhere already perfect. And so I'm, I'm interested in, do we need that now? Or well, can we see a much more positive thing? Go on. I definitely, I definitely think that, you know, that I'm about the balance of seemingly contradictory perspectives. Oh, me too. Me too. Yeah. So like this, you know, and I think, I think really like the, the, the real is uh, somewhere between the two towers we've erected here um, and seem to be like. Uh, but there has to be a good reason for that. Yeah. So, so, okay. So I think what is, what is, what is involution giving us that we can't get from the idea that we're starting from the, something potentiality realizing itself in primitive ways, which is what the scientific story seems to tell us. And that will become conscious of itself. And that will become then images of sensation in consciousness. And then we've got a whole new realm rather than there being some sort of, what does that fall? What does that, that coming down from something which is already there? What is it? It well, do? it's not okay. So I, I actually gave a talk um, that people can find on my page of talks uh, <laughs> at Burning Man in, in I guess this was anything. And I don't. I, it was 2013, and it was called "Viewed from the Horizon." And in the talk, I critiqued both uh, mo cosmologies that are based on this entropic decay, and and models that are based on this sort of this eruption towards an omega point because both of you know there's there's something both the sort of apotheosis at the end of time and the you know the the immaculate garden to which we can never return seem to me to be almost culturally determined slices of something that contains 
includes and transcends both of those things. And like, I really, you know, I'm, I, I'm just inclined to, to a, adopt a kind of relativistic attitude towards this where we have to, it's humility, ultimately, I think for me in, in not, for, you know, in, in wondering where the order, uh, where the information comes from, like, is information really created? Uh, hold on just a second. Again, I think, you know, I'm, I, may, I may sound like I'm spiraling the drain here. Uh, <laughs> not, not in the slightest. <laughs> okay, but I mean, but I think, you know, the, the question of, um, let me, well, let me just put two things on the table for you and see, see what sticks. Uh, one is uh, the work of Jessica Flack, who's uh, a, a collective computation researcher at the Santa Fe Institute. And she wrote a paper called Coarse Graining is Downward Causation. So um, I think this would appeal to your, your aesthetic. And the idea is, you know, she studied under Franz Deval, the primate researcher. And so she's thinking about this in terms of, of macaque dominance hierarchies, that every, every macaque has to not only be able to sort of size up another macaque and know, am I going to win or lose this fight? But also aggregate and estimate a like a public sentiment from the rest of the macaque troop over whether they think i'm going to win or lose this fight you know like what are my what's what how am i polling right now and she said that in this paper she, she you know she showed the, the the math of this is that um a a, a kind of group mind emerges out of all of the individual estimates like if you regard each macaque in this troop as a node in a distributed computational network that each one of them is coming up with an, an an answer that's like a local answer about a global quality of the network and each of us might be getting that answer wrong in some we're, we're like erring or varying in some way but collectively our variance creates the wisdom of a crowd and that there is some um, that our own little individual calculations create this uh, this thing that in, among humans uh, is experienced as the social contract. You know, this sense that I have, a that, that there's a point at which the predominant relationship be, is not the relationship between you and I. It's the relationship between you and I as mediated by our relationship to society itself and the, the, the regulatory system that we understand ourselves to be participating in, whether that's, you know, a, a religious God or whatever. And, and for what it's worth, monotheism shows up in history. This is recent, a recent uh, pu publication. All of the monotheistic religions show up as a function of population size, like density, like uh, cities uh, walling and creating legal and religious structures for their own internal regulation or so it seems and that so in, in a sense this notion um maybe the simpler thing i i would i would sort of uh, provoke playfully is that um that this seemingly distinct space has emerged for us as 
the product of these kind of social calculations that we have to do. And I'm just, I'm just playing here, but um, I, the other one. Okay. Yeah, I want, I want to make sure I've got that. So you're just, are you just saying, just saying are you are you saying look this this the the experience of psyche has arisen from all of that possibly i think now, I, mean, right. that's, I would okay, think so it completely, that, i would think that's a large part of it because it's an it, it's a communal space yeah, that, that there's there's a sense reading her paper in which i felt the holy ghost descend into the room but that's the 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 descent of the holy ghost is the point at which i think this conversation is taking some you know is is investigating is there really a descent of the Holy Ghost, or is or does the Holy Ghost only seemingly descend as we just like? Well, uh, well it's definitely there's definitely in and out going on the whole time, and it's going you know now. I think really the only thing which I'm questioning is uh, is do we put the more can we keep the more emergent till later? Do we have to put it near the beginning? Does it have to come from this down, or or if even if it does, is that simply because a bit like my my egg and sperm thing is a bit like well for me it started really simple like for this universe it started really simple again but actually from it, everything is a continuation of the past even even that was a continuation of the past and in that way it's all being informed by intelligence which is the past which is the way things have already been done well i mean i'm way out of my depth here talking about uh cosmology and astrophysics but last i remember physics were physics is puzzling over the fact that the big bangs like the, the earliest moment of our universe was actually um exceedingly high entropy it was like maximal entropy and then somehow it went from high entropy to low entropy and now we're going back to high entropy and so that seems puzzling to me uh, it seems like we're taking a slice of a higher dimensional image and we can't make sense of it. Um, I want to, I want to, I want to throw this other one on top of this though, because I've been talking about this with playing with this particular idea has changed the way I think about this stuff entirely. Okay. Um, Eric Wargo, the author of time loops, precognition, retrocausation and the unconscious. So he's made this really, I think, eloquent uh, case that, uh, you know, I know that you were, you know, you spoke to Rupert Sheldrake. And so I'm, if he's listening, I apologize. But like, you know, he, he makes the case that stuff like Sheldrake's research, uh, or in general, parapsychological research, uh, that seems to indicate a, um, you know, some, you know, it's, it's frequently been suggested, it's like a, a quantum spooky action at a distance or some, some kind of weird thing going on there. Um, he's saying that actually, it, what if it is your foreknowledge, some sort of information reflux from future states of your own brain? And that like, if you have a, 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 you know, that a sense that somebody's about to call you on the phone and then they do, and then you're like, oh my gosh, that just happened. It's like, actually, there's like a, there's a datum sort of in, in a Mobius strip in time locking. That's a, uh, that's a, isn't, isn't, doesn't that, doesn't, you see, yeah, for me. So, so hold on. So, he's, oh, so on, his, on. Whole thing is, his whole his whole thing is that he is ravaged by Occam's razor. Like he he is like a a rabid devotee of the simplest possible explanation. And for him, for him, the simplest possible explanation to explain all of these anomalous phenomena 
as well as everything else is that we live in a block universe, Ooh. the Minkowski space time, where the future is there. Oh, already. how awful. Oh, I want to be, I want to do, how do I do that? Oh, I mean, but my whole life is just draining away. This conversation has no purpose. Everything's already happened. Your children are already dead. Their futures are fixed. It's pointless doing anything. Let us give up now. What an awful, ugly, grotesque idea that is. Michael, it is, is there a way? Is there another destroying. Backbend intellectually around. It's hard that to find an idea which I find so repulsive, and so without foundation. It, it, as that a horrible, horrible idea that this thing we're in is so uncreative and so meaningless that it's a block. It's like even well, the I mean, name. It's uncreative. I mean, it's just like it, to think it if it's already happened. It's uncreative. It means this, you, know? you, mean, you, you would say that, wouldn't you? And if your brain had only had the foresight, it would have known that. Maybe you thinking of the idea is only exactly that, that it's already happened. I'm, so I, 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 really, I really hate that with passion because it I mean, feels like what we're in here is much more than that. This is a process, and, and that's such a dead idea. You know, for me, it's like, look, every moment is new. That's what it is. It's creative. And you and I are expressions of that. And this creativity we're experiencing is an expression of the creativity that started the whole thing off and has been the ground ever since. And it's important to reconcile these. I don't think so. I don't, I really do not think so. I really don't. I think the idea, the, 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 the idea that time is fixed just kills everything. The, and, it, and it's also so counterintuitive. I mean, if you're going to use Occam's razor, bloody use it, because what we actually experience is not that. What we experience is that every moment realizes a new creative potential and includes within it, which is fixed, so the expanding block universe, as it sometimes gets called, that I can go with, that the, you know, what's happened has happened. That's fixed. But like the, just as we, you know, the universe is space expanding, it's time expanding, and it's accumulating. And everything that's happening is arising on and contains within it every, the past, what's happened before. But that's a creative process. And the reason for me, much simpler, that we experience the sort of things that Rupert explores is just simply that we also exist on a non-spatial dimension. Nothing to do with quantum physics. Quantum physics is right down at the beginning. It's a very low level of uh, the rising of possibility where you know where particles are coming in and out this is a very high level this is a very emergent level and we're in it right now and we're passing and we're connecting i'm connecting with something i can't see right now aren't i i mean i'm looking at your face on a screen but what i'm connecting with is your soul is your psyche and it has no physical form and yet i'm connecting with it and and we're passing immaterial things to and fro and my, my suspicion, and I think this is what people like Rupert are exploring, my suspicion is we're actually connected there the whole time, and, but we're connected through the bonds that you are connected with your child, say, or your partner, or, or your parents, or your best friends. Or, you know, it's like the, the, the connections are, not to, are to do with meaning. They're not to do with spatiality. Mm. And just, like, just like our ideas. You know, I say an idea, and it connects with a book you've read. It's nothing to do with spatiality. It's nothing to do with, it's to do with connections of meaning. So that there's a spatial, temporal, uh, sorry, it's all temporal. There's a spatial causal world, which is this one. And then there's from it has arisen a narrative, meaningful image world, which we're in. And well, now, we, we connect. I'm curious, how does, so this notion that 
you know, you say, and maybe we've been connected the whole time in this non-spatial. Well, in the same way that we're connected in this one, it was just, you know, in this one, we're connected because we're all part of the one biosphere and one universe. It's just that we need to be physically close to each other to know that. In the, in the, in the non-spatial, it feels like we just need to be meaningfully close to each other to know that. And when you are, you do, which is why when something happens, you know, when someone rings you and you know, you go, oh, someone's going to do that. And you pick up on it before it happens because you're actually close to them, but non, not spatially. Just as I, you know, if I was close to you spatially and you picked up your phone, I go, well, I knew you were ringing because I could see you. Right, yeah. right. So, so um, what, what do you make then? Because my thing is that, you know, the reason that I find my position on matters such as these to be so uh, like paradoxical and uh, multiplex <laughs> is that I, ha I feel like I have to stretch myself to accommodate all of the anomalies. And oh, like one me of too. The, me one, too. One of the I... persistent anomalies is my own intuitions of future events. Yeah. So I'm yeah. curious, your model, how, how, how does that make, happen? Yeah. How to make sense of, something of these experiences of people like for example the in in wargo uh in his book he talks a lot about you know the people that anticipate like a a, a large public disaster like titanic or 9-11 mm -hmm. and their uh dreams about it or their stories are ref are reflections not of how they might have experienced it themselves had they been there but how they experienced it, how they were later going to experience it by reading about it or watching it on TV. And mm -hmm. so that there's this sense in which, you know, the, the evidence that we have for premonition, although, you know, anecdotal, although hugely anecdotal, um, suggests one that, that a prophecy is obviously filtered through the rear facing associative relationships that we use, you know, that it's that we can only make sense of uh, a premonition in light of the experience that we have up to this point. Um, but it's there. Yeah. You know? I, I, look, look, I, I, I take that seriously. Um, I just don't think it's because the future's fixed. I think it's much more like um, uh, a view from a hill. It's like, you know, oh, I'm going over there. And I think, uh, it, so it's, or it's more like, uh, you know, I can predict with complete accuracy that this will fall. I, I can absolutely predict that. I can predict with some accuracy that I'll go in the house later on and have my evening meal. That may not happen, but I probably it will. One hopes. And, yeah, one <laughs> hopes. So, so for me, it's like, look, we, with the arising of this uh, soul dimension, the psyche as a whole, as a, as a meaningful narrative dimension, we've seen... We've seen the universe, which started as basic matter, turn into a story. So, th so that's a fundamental key idea for me, is it's, it's become a story. It's become a dream. And we're in it. It's just not just that. It is also a mechanical level and biological level, but it has turned into this thing we're having. And all of those levels are affecting each other. So there is a, le there is a narrative level to existence now. And that narrative level of existence, you can, just as you can foresee things in the physical and biological levels, you can foresee things in the narrative level. But the, each level is more creative. So it's, you can pretty, you know, the, the, narrative, the, the physical level is, is not very creative. It's very slow to be creative. So you can predict things to incredible accuracy and land spaceships on comets. 
Biologic, biologically, not so easy. In the world of narrative, not really not so easy, but still possible. And still occasionally it will arise in somebody's story that they're going to have a premonition of something that's coming. Of course, the only ones you ever notice are the ones that turn out right. There may be hundreds and hundreds you're, which could have done that, but never happened. So, so we may be having these narrative uh, precognition all the time, just as we're having causal precognition all the time. Uh, it, it may be a common occurrence. We just only notice the dramatic ones that actually happen because all the ones that don't happen, we don't pay any attention to. So I, I, still, I still see it as a creative process. I don't think we need to go to this block, dead, it's all happened. We're just, you know, that, we don't have to go to that awfulness straight away. I think there's other creative options. I really want to get into the aesthetic repulsion that you seem to experience here, if yeah. I may. If I yeah, may, as the, as the guest on your show. You may. Uh, let's, let's do it, my friend. Yeah, because, you know, I think that... Uh, Doyle and perhaps Wargo and uh, they have they're drawing on a a cosmology that I think you know owes a lot to the cyclic cosmologies of Hinduism and Buddhism and that there's a sense in which the creative moment is not at in the past and I you know I'm I'm fully with you that it it's like it's unpleasant to consider, you know, this sort of, uh, well, God just did the thing and now it's just all just, you know, diffusing. Uh, that I mean, it, it, it is, I mean, it's not, I mean, it's inherent in all forms of determinism. It's, it's inherent in reductionism. It's not, I mean, science, most scientists, if you push them hard, would probably end up having to go with it. They just don't want to think about it. So it's not, yeah, I, mean, so, I do get that it's a, it's a common idea. Sorry, go on. Well, like you, you and I both, you know, both insist that creation is, is ongoing, but. Um, so how do you square that? Like, so the, the sense that I get is that we're missing an axis here, that we're, that we're missing a dimension and that the dimension is, um, you know, that in our efforts to place uh you know, you got Big Bang on one end, you've got the singularity on the other end, and they both feel like low dimensional projections of a higher dimensional reality. Uh, and that it's our efforts to narrativize. I, I, I called it um, in 2008, uh, I wrote an essay about Burning Man, in which I, I, I talk about being overwhelmed by the creative profusion of the event and realizing that my sequential experience of time is a low dimensional abstraction of the buzzing profusion of the creativity of the, of reality itself. And that the whole time I've been mistaking a party for a parade and that this, this notion of like a parade, you know, that, 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 um, that the, where you locate creativity in a cyclic model or a, you know, a model that is at the universal scale, uh, seemingly static, is that it's actually uh, that that there is this axis in which the universe is being recreated in every moment? And well, that I completely entire, agree with that. That, the, the that, that. that sounds like the opposite of what you were saying before to me, Michael. Evolutionary arc is is present. Isn't isn't that the opposite of what you were saying? I mean, uh, maybe a ninety degree angle. <laughs> I was like, I don't I don't feel especially mercurial or tricksy. Um, but I recognize that 
we are trapped in the prison of language and that sometimes you know to we are but but there's a different there's a fundamental okay. difference is and how we see you know so i look i'm i'm you know, Jesus, for most people, I'm Mr. Paradox. You know, my whole paralogical thinking is about bringing opposites together. But it's not, but it, how we bring them together is about avoiding contradiction, I think, and seeing how they complement. So there is a cyclic level experience in time, for sure, right from the day cycling, the year cycling, maybe a whole universe is cycling. But it's like a wheel. It's going forward. It's not because each new year is the year again, but it's another year. And what, so, that, so that the past, there's always more past. Every moment is always an accumulation. There's always more past. So what's being created has been, is, is, is there, it seems to me. So, but, there's, but the creativity, I would say, is right here always. That each moment is a meeting or a coexistence of the past and the possible everything that has been and everything could that could be it's not just everything that's happened and what is going to happen but hasn't happened yet it's like it's 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 something formless something non-dual spirit something utterly creative the potentiality meeting everything that's already been realized so there's being and becoming formless and form and that what's that's what makes the moment and that mm. leaves up that which you which you lose completely if you have a block universe where everything is kind of just already happened. All right, so um, I, this this all sort of calls to mind Alan Watts talking about life as experienced in two ways: one, you know, to live through it beginning to end, to experience it from within, and then the other, to see the music on the paper, as it were, you know, to to recognize it as a, as a, as a symphony or a poem with themes and variation. And it's, a, that's a great analogy. So the I question, the that, question uh, is, 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 is what we're doing now playing from a script playing right. from, you know, or are we riffing? Is this jazz or cause it exactly. feels like jazz to me. This yeah, feels like exactly. jazz. This feels like, yeah, this is, this is, this is, we're, we're, ext we're making this up as we go along based on what's happened before we're not playing the notes that are on the on, on the, the stand in front of us and that's the key i think it's a great analogy for forgetting you know which are we talking about here mm. and 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 it, it feels to me like the, the whole point is it's creative i mean where i want to go with this really i think is to you know do come back on me with that but where, where it feels like i want to go is is back to the very first question which is what is this and what should we do with it because if this is already fixed then the second question disappears. If it's I, not fixed. I don't know, actually, because, because in my own, we, we've never spoken about this, actually, I don't think, but over the last 10 years, I have been, you know, cultivating a deepening relationship to my own intuitive, what, what, whatever you might call it, an inner voice or a guidance or a knowing. And for a few years, I A-B tested disobedience and I, I love you for that i just love you for that that is so cool oh, so like you don't know like you don't like if you, so that's it's just brilliant. little simple questions should i take a left around this, this tr tree or should i forge yeah, you yeah. know and i found that every time i disobeyed quote unquote whatever this is you know completely bracketing any kind of reality claims about what is talking here yeah. you know is it inside me is it outside me not the point the point is is it giving me useful information yeah and after a few years of of 
you know, systematically disobeying the, the insights, I felt like I knew that I was getting good information and that something must know m more about my own trajectory than I do. Yeah, I would agree and, with that. Yeah. And, um, and so, yeah, I think that, you know, there's, what do you do with it? I, I got to a point where um, I, I, I decided that sobriety, my definition of sobriety um, is why is how integrated is your decision making and your your like perception um how much of your body are you listening to in a given moment um how much of your full being you know to to you know to put it in that way and that you know if we make decisions from small narrow urgent places you know the voice of the the uh the sugar addiction or whatever, then that's what we call intoxication, you know, and that it's not about exogenous or endogenous substances, but it's about uh, what, you know, Tononi and, and, and Coke call integrated information. You know, how, how, where, where does my sense of the sort of horizon, the conscious envelope of my, my, my being end and the other begin? And so even if you know, like, like Aurobindo was, Sri Aurobindo was super into getting people, you know, di disabusing people of the notion that enlightenment was this painstaking, laborious, long process. You might get enlightened at the end of your life. He's like, no, we need people enlightened now so that they can begin the more interesting part of the project, which is exploring that non-duality. And like, you've, you've gotten there, like you're doing this you know, you're, you're in there with people saying, okay, like, let's talk about awakening here. We don't need to like work towards a thing that's already here. And, and I, so I think, you know, in the, in what I'm describing, I see that there is, there's still a, there's still room to grow. Like, because you don't have perfect, even if, the, even if we can say sort of theoretically that future already exists we don't have perfect knowledge of it and if this is a, if this is leela if this is play if this is exploration then it is about uh deepening into that self as other you know the the terrain that is us but appears that like that um that's beautiful. That manifests as as other to us, and so this this notion, like I'm I'm so, uh, in a sense, so like bored with conversations about free will versus determinism, because they they do, neither seems to satisfy the complexity of what's actually going on here in terms of the location of the subject and the sim the simple boundary between. Yeah. what I believe is me making a choice and what I regard as fate impinging itself upon me, you know? And so this, I think it's really just, you know, that the, there it's this thing of moving into uh, a terrain that we know one day will feel familiar 
to us that we will regard as that, that, that there, you know, to talk about this as a deepening integration and an expansion and to talk about it as a, uh, like getting lost in ever more finely resolved rabbit holes, you know, is the paradox that I want to hold here. You know, that, that, that this is say both. That, that, say that, that, again. Yeah, that, that, that we are, if, you know, that we are the universe exploring every creative possibility, every, yeah. every opportunity. Yeah. Um, that there is a, a wholeness implicit in that from the start. A wholeness, and, yeah. Yeah, and that we, that sobriety um, has, you know, that my sense of sobriety has a lot to do with, uh, you know, like a Teilhard de Chardin kind of sense of the deepening integration of intelligence. But he, you know, he talked about hyper-collectivization and hyper-personalization being two sides of the same coin. And like, mm. as, you know, to the extent that you know, life is an entropy maximizing search algorithm, exploring all of creative possibility, then there, then that is how we hold these, uh, these two seemingly contradictory narrative slices in which we're, you know, it's, we're, you know, the, the, the universe is decaying into its, uh, into warm mush and also somehow ramping up into ecstatic interconnected order and and awareness and so it's it's really hard to like once once i kind of decided that all narrative vectors were low dimensional abstractions of the richness of my experience then i got really comfortable telling all kinds of different evolutionary stories um, but they are like, I'm, I'm actually totally comfortable with a universe that defeats our expectations about what is emerging out of what, and, you know, like this, to me, it's just like, if everything, if, if momentum is conserved, if energy is conserved, I think I, I suspect we'll get to a point where we realize that information is also conserved. I, and that, I completely agree. Yeah, definitely. And that for information to be conserved, then that's where we, that's why, uh, to answer your question earlier, that's why I, I want there to be a diffuse, you know, why I think it makes sense in a simple way to talk about the, the biosphere having been there before the biosphere. You know, and that 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 it that there was a bios is it, that is localized as a biosphere. You know, but that there's something about what we call emergence. Th that seems it seems late. it seems the, 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 it feels to me when I'm hearing you that there's a kind of confusion there to me, to be honest, because I mean it just it feels like the 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 that what that, you, that there's two things. One is which one of which is that it is individuation. So that you've got the, the things becoming particular. So you can we're see recording that. this on Carl Jung's birthday, by the way. Is it really? Uh, shout Happy out to birthday, Carl Jung Carl. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, please continue. What a dude he was. I didn't know that. He's come off a lot recently. So, so yeah. So that things have become particular. And that the, the you can see that. So if you take, just leave the biosphere for a moment. And just go, well, in the, in the, in the world of, the, of physical matter, things have become particular and more the holonic depth and blah, blah, blah. 
and they've particularized and particularized and particularized and we started with hydrogen and helium and now we've got all of this that, so it's all one thing and it all existed it was already one thing and it particularized and then you can see i think maybe the biosphere the same you know that that it's it's arising as life and then it's particularizing so it is all one thing it's and it's going to become an ecology of different life forms but it's it's all coming from one thing and the same with the psyche so that there's that sense in which but that doesn't mean that the biosphere was already there before there was matter or before there was stars or it it to me it just means that that's it exists as potentiality presumably we can say you know the, whatever this this non-form this formless thing which is manifesting itself realizing itself is a potentiality for everything it's going to realize so it exists there as potentiality but it exists as nothing everything's there as potentiality and so it, and but as it arises it will arise as one thing which is individualizing one thing which is individualizing because the whole thing is one thing which is individualizing and then when you talk about that deep voice it feels to me like what's happening is that that one thing which is individualizing through soul through this experience we're having on this very emergent level at least in this little planet that is becoming conscious of itself the whole awakening thing for me is like ah through my particularness the universe goes fuck i'm the universe mm -hmm. by by being by being tim and at that moment i'm connecting with something much bigger than me and when I go deep into, and when I listen to that voice, that's the deepest part of my soul. That's the, that's the part of me that's connected to God as, as, the, as, the, as the universe conscious of itself. Not as where it's come from, but where it's going. That, and, and therefore, when I tune into that voice, that's the most emergent level that I can touch. And therefore, it won't be perfect for sure, but it's going to be the wisest thing that Tim can listen to because it's the wisest part of what Tim is. So there's a kind of epistemic uh, humility, I think, that we can port through uh, here. And both of us agree that there is a, uh, a sort of transcendental intelligence, I think, that we're, yes. we're glimpsing from different angles. For sure. Um, the, difference, the difference for me from where I was 10 years, 20 years ago, most of my little bit, is that I used to go along with the more traditional idea of, of that's already there, whereas it, it, is, it feels more, it, it attracts me far more now to think, no, 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 it's the most emergent comes last, not first. Mm -hmm. It's, it, the, the universe is flowering into God. It's flowering into this intelligence. Or do, if you want to use the old mythology, uh, Brahman, without qualities is turning into Brahman with qualities. And that deepest quality is conscious, the universe conscious of itself or love or love is the experience of that oneness. Not as where it started from, but where it's going. And in that way, kind of, I think Pierre Thierry had that idea as well. I think it's a lovely, you know, not, I'm not, I'm not seeing it as a fixed point either. Like him, like, you know, it's not, I'm not saying there's a place. It's just that it's enfolding to deeper and deeper potentials. Have you, have you talked to Stu Kaufman? I mean, you, you both go to science and non-duality. Um, I have, yes. Yeah. We so talked about that. He's got that notion of the adjacent possible. That's very keyed into this, this whole thing, you know, yeah. that, that uh, it's, it's growing into, it's like it's expanding into the adjacent possible. That is exactly a, a beautiful way of saying the same, the same intuition, I think. So that the adjacent possible is, 
it, well, it's actually, you know, it's like, it's a coexistent for me. It's like, look, what marks out if what marks out what existence is, is the coexistence of everything that's come into form and the potentiality, the formless potentiality, the flow of time, which is what everything is, and the timeless non-dual essence, which is what everything isn't. It's the, the potentiality mm. for what could be. And that those coexist right now in this moment, which is why when I touch it, there's a timelessness, but I only touch it through time. Mm. So do you... Um... What do you, I'll just turn it on you. Uh, What do you, what do you, where do you think this is? Like, is there an end game? Yeah, great question. And then I'm going to turn it back to you. So so for me, as you turn it on me first, um, I don't, I I have no idea that there is like, that's where it's all going. In fact, to be honest with you, my intuition and who the hell knows would be it never started, it never ends. That the, the past is in every moment including the big bang and the big bang before that and the big is is the past is is the is is arising from what's happened before and although i can't possibly comprehend the idea that that goes back and back and back eternal i suspect it does and the same with the going forward but within this little narrative of comparatively narrative of this universe and then tim's little life in this universe and the the journey of my soul beyond tim i think there is which is the, the, the whole process is, let me come into this a different way. It seems to me, Michael, that it's not so much that it has a purpose, it's that the purpose is inherent in what existence is. And the existence is the realization of potentiality in ever more emergent ways. That's what it is. And it's ever more emergent because it accumulates. And therefore, that's its purpose. That's what it is. And therefore, I, the universe is that. And it is reaching towards ever more emergent ways. And it's reached this far so far. And I think it's giving birth to another level right now. And that level is that, what you call, that cosmic consciousness, that conscious oneness. It's, it's flowering into God. And Tim's journey within that as an individuated aspect of it on this, which, on this level of soul or psyche, this non-material level which I exist on, is, to, is a part of that is something which is, a, is one filament in the great light that is arising. And that my role as I go through the, the, the experience of life and death is to manifest my most emergent aspects based on my past and play into that cosmic story, um, which feels profoundly meaningful to me and beautiful. Uh, and, and, and more than anything, uh, it redeems the past. It redeems the suffering. It redeems the pointlessness. It redeems the mechanicalness. The, 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 it redeems all the less emergent levels, which I live with, because it's, all, it's moving towards this, this greater good, which is calling, which is emerging. So that's an attempt at an answer. Uh, mm. And I'd be interested to hear your reaction and to hear your own answer. Yeah, I... I regard things in a similar way, I suppose. Um, I'm extremely skeptical of origins and destinies as, as narrative devices. Uh, so, and, and, and also in general of, I think a lot of this in this conversation has come from my skepticism around the idea of entropy itself 
around, you know, and, and my, my hunch that information is conserved yeah. at, 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 you know, that, that I completely agree with you. Well, that, you know, that when we talk about order, we're always talking about order with a frame around it. You know, that this cluster of molecules is more or less predictable in time one than it is in time zero. And so that again, that, that it, it, it draws, it, it blocks out all of the other possibilities. Like recently, quantum physicists have managed to quote unquote reverse time in these like very small systems, right? And really all that means is that they've managed to create in that system uh, a, few, you know, a, a, ser- a, a moment with lower entropy later on than earlier. But they do that by injecting information into the system, right? Like the information comes from somewhere. Yeah. And so again, this is like just me sort of beating a dead horse here back to life, which is that the, that I don't know, like to, to talk about where we're going, to talk about an end game suggests that I'm willing to make claims about the boundedness of our universe in ways that I find very, very uncomfortable. That, that I'm not willing to say that we can, I mean, that basically everything that we know about the universe is anchored in our subjectivity. It's anchored in a local understanding. And that local understanding is constantly changing under evolutionary pressures. And so, you know, I guess for me, like where this takes me in terms of what to expect, and I'm writing a whole book about this, although I have been so busy being a new dad that I haven't written anything in months, but I am in theory writing a book about how I think we thread the needle of this debate between let's you know let's call them sort of uh, evolutionary optimists and evolutionary pessimists or whatever you know people that think we're going up the elevator or down um and say that we even have these two different angles on it because what we're calling entropy creates metabolisms in order to better model the environment and that those metabolisms have differences of opinion and that those differences of opinion like Jessica Flack was talking about you know create the sort of emergent group mentation so at, at any rate what, what we you know what, what I think is going on here is that you, you know you talk about like the growth into greater good um, which I I agree with but I regard it as a kind of you know to, like a Rudolf Steiner talks about luciferic drives and that this movement into greater possibility, into greater opportunity, in, must by necessity include more forms of limitation, more forms of fragmentation, more forms of, of uh, violence, you know, and that we are growing both edges of that adjacent into both, you know, we're growing omnidimensionally into the adjacent possible. So yes. That, I yeah, so that completely agree. So that in, and that this is why 
I talk about involution but, and evolution together. Hold that. I want to come back. It, yeah. it, it, it seems to me that, you, firstly, just in case, I, I don't think you'll think of this for me, but of anyone listening, I mean, I, I just, because often people hear evolution, people say, oh, look, things, are, you know, it's moving towards the good, and then some crass idea of progress arises, or everything's just getting better, and I don't, obviously not. It, it, you know, evolution has been a chaotic right from the start and up and down and in and out and i'm sure it will continue to be certainly it is in one's individual life that's for sure um but so but there's a there's a but it seems to me that that the the, the evolutionary impulse the accumulation of the past in the time stream in this stream of existence is happening on every level always so it's not like it's not like it's like it's it's con everything's still doing it i i mean i presume on the most primitive levels things are still evolving certainly in the biological sphere things are evolving it's just very very slow by the time it gets to thought it's evolving so fast it's happening now as we're meeting it's like it's actually evolving as we're watching so there are different levels of emergence all evolving. So, you know, like you said, violence. I mean, the, 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 the weaponry is also emergent. And we've got much more emergent weapons now, and that's not a good thing. So we've gone from sharpened poles to fucking nuclear weapons. Uh, and that's an emergent path. But that's, but, so the thing which is the cutting edge, I think, is always the most emergent element of the most emergent level. And the most emergent level now is really not weaponry. The most emergent level is happening deep in soul. So the most emergent level of the most emergent level is moving into it. The problem is that everything is still emergent. So until we can, we have to actually interact with those other levels from our own depth to, to influence them rather than, and in that way, I think you're right, it will always involve an increase in, in everything. Or not, it doesn't have to always do it, but it, there will be a tendency towards an increase in everything. I want to yeah. get, I, I, sorry, go on, you, you speak no, back, but I want to ask you a question. Go for it. I want to ask you, um, I want to kind of cut through the, we've been all over the place with, with ideas here and it's been fun. I just want to cut to you personally. Uh, so you're a dad, you're in the Hello. middle of life, allegedly, <laughs> if you, you know, which probably actually, you, pro you know, it's like when people told me I was middle age when I was 50, it was like, wow, really? You think I'm going to live to 100? It's yeah. like, yeah. It's, so you are, you know, you're, for me, you're young and you're here, you're smart, you're dad. And you're going to die. For sure. So it feels like to understand this thing we're in and to know what it means, we have to have something which can help us understand that fact. Um, and I wondered what your intuitions feelings hunches guesses imaginings whatever you want to call them are in response to to the, not just this cosmic evolutionary process not just michael's particular life but the fact of the the the, the of death of my death specifically oh, everyone's <laughs> including yours ah uh, i mean i think all of what I've said today is shaped, informed by a conviction, a metaphysical conviction in the balance of things, you know, in 
the notion that the arrows that we draw in the world and and the trends that we identify are incomplete and so even though right now i'm in a body that experiences time in a particular way and marks the beginning and end of my life i, I really feel that all of the things that we've talked about in terms of cosmic evolution uh, are applicable to my understanding of my own life and, and my, my own mind and, and that when those structures fail, when the structures by which I orient myself in a flow of information cease to work for me to orient myself that I'm not sure if there is a loss or a gain in the dimensionality of experience. Like, I'm not sure if, uh, and, and maybe there are, it's like everything else that I've been saying, I was like, the, the, maybe there are useful ways to see it in both senses. Um, but that, You know, like uh, Ram Dass talked about Neem Karoli Baba talking about death as if taking taking off a shoe that's too tight. You know that the the notion of of the brain. Uh, you know, Aldous Huxley talking about it as a reducing valve. Um. But then, of course, it's. I mean, it, in some sense, it is. It's it's an attempt to make the most parsimonious use of the resources we have in order to navigate the environment as effectively as we can. I think. And so um, if there is, yeah, I mean, basically I, I, I would regard the timeless as a dimension and it wouldn't surprise me if at the moment of my death, I am just sort of called back into the sense-making retrospective of whatever my life contributes to informationally that like this is what people when they talk about like you know rejoining some sort of divine mind that for me like i i kind of i kind of suspect that that there is you know i have a friend who talks he's like what if what if we're just the past life regressions of our future selves you know and that all of this is just like a memory of us that we're having of ourselves at some future point, a dream. Um, I don't know. I, I guess it's it possibly is just the residue of Judeo-Christian parenting, but I I do I do believe in a New Jerusalem sort of, you know. I do believe in a shining city at the end of time sort of, um, but it, in whatever sense we can legitimately talk about it as existing in the future it for sure and much more easily to argue exists right now in in a dimension that we're not uh normally accessing or considering in our conversations about time you know that the, I, like the eternal is like 
you know, again, like, you know, there's at every moment in the symphony, there's a sense in which the entire symphony exists. This is me. This is just me uh, being comfortable in that, in that position, that sense that uh, at the end of this sort of narrative mode, that there will be that, yeah, that this, that this, the recording, if not the score still exists somewhere um, or nowhere. And that, yeah, that really ultimately it doesn't, you know, that, I mean, mortality is, you know, my, my college roommate was always talking about dying every night when he went to sleep, you know, waking up, being born again every morning. Yeah. I don't know. I just, I just, and, and then there's also the fact that like my own body is this other, other, you know, it's in, it's in Im immensely strange. It's forever uh, wild and foreign. And to the extent that we talk about life as emerging from non-life, then I am made out of the dead thing, you know, like I am, and there's, there's a, a deep non-duality that we can examine in this snapshot in which the self and the other, the living and the dead are taken up into something transcendent to those categories. And so I don't really, I don't know. I mean, it just, to me, death is just sort of like a reorganization, an internal reorganization. And I don't, I don't really expect it to, I don't know. I, I, I shouldn't say it doesn't concern me because obviously I grieve when I lose a family member or that kind of thing. But it just, I think that there's a really important sense in which that, you know, die before dying, like recognize the ways in which these categories are not serving us uh, in our understanding of how truly strange our world really is, <laughs> you know? <laughs> I don't know. I, I do. I do. It is truly strange. That is for sure. And uh, I think it Thanks becomes, it becomes, it be death becomes more of an issue once you get to be 60. And uh, uh, as you make, as, as the journey comes through. So, yeah, I. Um, what about you? I, I mean, I, I, we know this. So you talked about this on Future Fossils. You, you know, you really. Uh, you believe that you're leaving a, an imaginal residue, right? That there's a... I think everything is, is leaving a residue. I think everything is the past. I think this moment includes the past within it. And I think it's, it's... I don't think that's disputable. If you just... Every moment contains within it everything that's ever happened before. Everything. So that's why when you say information isn't lost, it's like clearly... It's not. Now, my, the ability to access it may be lost, but it hasn't, the information itself hasn't been lost. It's all there. And I, your stuff about entropy, entropy, I thought, was deep because it's actually what's happening. And I've heard it, you know, like entropy is like the, the river and life is like the fish going upstream. I remember um, uh, my, uh, an image being given of that kind of the way that it, it seems to be moving in the opposite direction. And, I, and that for me, that's like, well, look, that's because the information's getting onto higher and higher levels, more and more emergent levels. And now it's reached the level of soul or psyche where it's, it's not even made of matter. It's completely new level. So um, part of my um, 
interest in exploring how to synthesize science and spirituality is because I, my own experience of being around death, which I've been around a lot, points me very strongly to the, to the idea that spirituality is saying something and that's central to the spiritual idea. It's not just ideas of oneness and awakening, although that's big and timelessness, but actually central to just about every form of spirituality is about death and about the idea that this, this thing we're experiencing as soul is not subject to death in the way that this thing we're experiencing as body is. Um, and that they are distinct. And I loved it when you talked about your body as the other, because that uh, for me, it's like, I really think we need to take that old insight seriously, but in a different way. So the old, the traditional insight is you're not your body. You have one, but you're not. And, and actually it feels to me like the body is, I have a relationship with it, but it's got its own agenda. It's got its own, it has its own needs. It has its own, it's doing its own thing. And I'm relating to it. And we're on completely different levels of emergence now. Uh, we're in a symbiotic relationship. I do think we've emerged in the evolutionary process in one narrative. But now, I think that we're in a sim- the two levels of information are in a symbiotic relationship, a bit like a computer in the cloud or something like that. And that those are, they're in a symbiotic relationship, they're moving together, but when this drops, this is still there. So I think the, the whole question for me around death is simply, does this experience of imagination stop when the, the experience of sensation stops? And my own hunch is, no, it doesn't. And the experience you were saying of it's all there, I, I mean, I've, I've haven't spoken to huge numbers of people who've had near-death experiences, and of this idea of a life review seems very interesting to me that it is all there. And that kind of feels right to me, that it's all there. And that partly because it feels like, what do I take with me? I take what I am. And what am I? I'm everything I've ever experienced. That's what I am. I'm the past of Tim. And the past of Tim is meeting the past of Michael in this new potential, which is, for me, is a creative, is not what's already happened that we're remembering or anything. Nothing. No, no, no. Much bigger. Much, much, much richer than that. This is brand new. And, and we get to play a role in where it's going to go because we are it playing that role. That's what we are. Um, we are the emergent universe choosing where to go next and, and on a journey which doesn't end with death. Mm. That, that's where I've ended up with my story. Yeah, I like the ending the story with an interrogation of the idea of the end of the story. <laughs> I can fly with that. And one of the great things which for me I love in the way you approach things is this bringing together opposites? Because I do think we can do that. I don't. I think we have to be careful how we do it. But I do think there are that life is deeply paradoxical. So one of the things perhaps we can explore this just to end with together is, to me, the story never replaces the mystery. That I need both, and that the timeless quality is always the unknowing. It's the ah, oh, and that's what. I lead people to in the awakening work that I do. And then there's the living your life, which requires maps, stories, and usually fragmented ones that don't fit together. So the more they can be integrated and richer and open up deeper experience, the better. But the moment they replace the mystery, the thing which we're actually in, then it feels like we've lost it. And so much of 
what happens when when ideas become tight is because we've just we've got we're just eating the menu and forgotten the meal and then we we can come back to the to this enormous enormous endless mystery and i think part of the thing which i see in you when you're talking is a, is I, if i've got it right is the desire not to, not to lose that is to keep it open to keep it and that's honoring the possible speed levitch says and i i love this so much i've been using it in my bio for years he says i refuse to be enslaved by a single perspective yeah yeah <laughs> beautiful beautiful because every, everything is a perspective and that's the first idea we started off on, on this journey which was a uh, the evolving of perspectives so there's yeah. there's plenty of Thank them you, which is why it's so lovely to share your perspective michael and play out these things and i feel richer for it so Thank you so much. Super fun. Thank you. Yeah, it has been. Yeah. I love I love going uh playful toe to toe like this. I I think so too. And and part of the reason I want to do this is because I think I want to I want to model how we can do this so that people do it because I see you know I live in, I live much more in the spiritual world than I do in the scientific community although I move between both. And what happens in the spiritual world is either you're in a bubble of, of ideas which are kind of enclosed and you're in, um, or you're incredibly polite and not allowed to disagree because everyone has their own reality. And it's like, well, look, both of those are, don't feel right to me. Maybe, maybe there's a way you can explore. Yeah, that, that everyone is entitled to their own reality perspective seems like the preconditions for the fall of civilization. I'm just saying. Yeah. I've never heard it put quite as articulately, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, well, th thank you so much. Thank, thank yeah. you. Um, and uh, it's, you it's been and getting people to ask these questions. Cool. Thank you for your loveliness. And um, I will, I will, this will be out probably in September sometime. Okay. And I will send you all of that. And um, could you, Michael, could you email me just like a one liner? Of how, I mean, I've looked at how you describe it. I mean, you are a man of so many different aspects. It's hard to know how to describe you. So if you've got a line that you would like me to describe you as and a website you'd like me to link to, um, yeah. can you just send me that? I will do that. Yeah. Thank you. And then I can make sure I get the information that all, you know, people can go. I'd like to know more of this strange chappy. Yeah. That sounds good. I feel like it's, I feel like I've already known him in the future. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, you might, I, uh, I imagine you're a voracious reader. And no, that... you'd be wrong. I, I used to be a voracious reader. Uh -huh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. as I've got older, I read less and less and less. Um, yeah. That's pretty, I, that, seems, that seems to be par for the course as, as people sort of, you know, deepen into uh, contemplative work, you know. Um, that said, I, w I, would love, I would love to know if you're ever inspired to actually read time loops. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm putting it on my list. I'm doing it now. Because, you know, he's, he's, he's not, um, you know, for the same reason that I like, I loved reading Timothy Morton, 
you know, who is such a contrarian and such a, you know, in some ways, like I find his perspective, like, like meaningful in like, this is an absolutely necessary component of the, what I'm building to make sense of things. And yet for him to insist that it's like the way is patently ridiculous, right? And I think there's a similar sense in which I don't completely agree with Eric Wargo about his stuff. Um, you know, like, I think there's a suggest, I think there's good reasons to believe that there are forms of telepathy that are not you just intuiting a future informational state of your own brain. But the notion that the afterlife, that the bardo is present in every moment and that the, that in some sense death is the release of the individual from the flow of history. Um, Turns what you mean by history then, doesn't it? Because yeah. it feels, it feels like, for, I mean, it, it, I, I guess for me, it just feels like, look, the Bardo's present. We're in it now. <laughs> right. We're in a non-spatial, non-physical dimension. It's where we've been hanging out the whole time. You know, we, the bodies have been sitting here doing, moving about a little bit, but mainly all the activity. temporal right? Also. Yeah. Well, it's, it depends what you mean by time. It's not, it, there is a, if, if you, I think of time just purely as sequence, one thing follows another and it includes what's happened before. So it's not, it is temporal in that sense, but it has a different relationship with this. Um, so you can have, you know, huge, one of the things I used to do when I was much younger and crazier was make myself deliberately pass out. Um, oh, I do that too, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, you, so you'd go, you know, you'd be out for about a few seconds and then you'd have these huge visionary experiences and dreams and all this, which went on forever. And you'd go, fuck, I've just been out for five seconds. How can that be true? Because they're not a bit like, well, like dreams generally. But it's still temporal in the sense of it still fitted in in those five seconds and it was a sequence of events. So yeah. it doesn't, it feels like the timeless, the, the, the formless, the silence in which it's all arising, it really, it, it has no form. It, 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 it's, it's everything which is in form, even the bardos is form. Everything is in that sense an unfolding of time. Mm. That, 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 because it just every experience is always time. It has a, it's impossible to have experience without that. that because it, it feels like the, the abstraction is the idea of a, of a thing, of a thing that's not time. There's only a flow of time. That's what it all is. Hey, we've just started up again. That's no good. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, well, now, now we can finally get into like, uh, I think it was Lee Smolin and his team of people that were working on like space time as a as a like that it's about network causal interrelations between quantum states i find lee smolin stuff fantastic i yeah, really so, like him a lot yeah, so the, the notion I've that just time bought, is, um time reborn actually just, oh good just, i haven't just, read it so yeah just i just got it and i see that's rare for me so he must have impressed me that yeah. i went out and went i've got to read that well, so, yes. Yeah, so Mainly because I just get so disappointed, Michael, with books. <laughs> well, report back to me after Time Reborn, because I think, I think you know, in, in what limited interactions I've had with, like, hardcore physicists at SFI, um, it does seem as though there's a comfort in that conversation that surprised me, 
with the notion that, um, you know, with with this paradox that the, that the, the that the future, like that, the whole universe, all moments of time, exist from some perspective, but that we, you know, that we are. So that's that's the idea that that Lee is really going coming against. Yeah, is it? Yeah, that's what he's like. He he's he. Why I relate to him so much is he's going look. Time is reality. That time is not an illusion, and and physics has got itself into a whole dead end, thinking that with with something which is from our you know from, from certainly from our everyday experiences complete nuts and and that and and could actually be nuts. So I I think he's a physicist who's coming back to that's why it's time reborn. It's like no no this is this is the fundamental category here, mm. uh, and I think he's right. I think he's absolutely right. I think it is the it is one of the fundamental. Do you know where he stands with respect to like Carlo Rovelli? Because Carlo uh, Rovelli has a similar sort of like time is in you know that that we basically that there is such a thing as past and future, but only sort of from within a, a you know a, 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 a an observer, like only from within a system modeling its environment, you know, because then we're manipulating information in a way that you know leads to yeah i don't know see, see to, I, don't, I, don't, I have no idea but that sound i think the whole thing comes ultimately it comes from the fact that that science has had its greatest successes with physics and physics is the least creative level of emergence so it can imagine, and because it's reductionist, because it functions on the basis that you can understand the more emergent by reducing it to the less emergent, which I think is a complete and absolute mistake. The opposite is the truth. The whole point of emergence is you can't reduce it to the less emergent. You just can't. I mean, you know, for me, it's like, you know, if, you, if there was all the chemicals that make up my body sitting on this chair, it would not be having a conversation with you. It's just like, this is more, you know, you, you, reductionism is just wrong. But it's so prevalent. So it's always, it's just this, it's just this, it's just this. And if you, if you, if you have underneath it this idea that the basic levels are more real than the more emergent levels, then you end up with a deterministic universe. And then there is no creativity. And so the, the future is already happened. You know, if you just take a Newtonian worldview, the, the, the future has happened. We don't need to go cosmic on it. It just happened because everything's determined. But the mistake is that that's true on the least emergent levels, or it becomes more true, or it's so it's it's so uncreative you can't see it move. That's why it takes billions of years to do anything. Right. But on the on the more emergent levels, it's cre it's really creative and fast, and it's not deterministic in the slightest. It's open ended. The possible, from which is motivating the whole thing the whole way through, is or is is, is interacting is really obvious. And as soon as you get rid of determinant um, of reductionism, then that the whole necessity to have time as fixed just, just goes out the window, and you can go back to a much more obvious way that we actually experience, which is that there's a flow of emergence and we're of, of time, and and we're we're creative within it, and you've got free will which exists on this level but not on the level of atoms, and and so on and so on because you you haven't got caught in that deterministic trap, and then all of those issues just disappear. They're gone. All right. Well, <laughs> I want to keep picking at this forever. Yes. Let's, yes. let's, you probably let's, will. As let's like me. Break, 
let's let's take a breather here yeah we should uh, it's been lovely speaking to you and uh yeah god bless you and uh, enjoy being a dad and all of that beautiful particularness as it unfolds likewise have fun with your uh you've got one or both kids at home now they're both at home well kind of in and out but yeah but they're 24 and 19 now so yeah it's a hell of a journey it's fantastic so you actually okay you had your i was just thinking about that i was like she'll be 25 when i'm 60 so okay okay so you so, had your kid about the same yeah, time yeah 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 awesome all right well thanks man lovely to see you lovely to see you take care i'll talk to you soon